Hello, and welcome to the Network Collective Community Roundtable. Today, we're sitting down with Jed Casey and Bruno Woolman to talk, well, just about what's on our minds in a really true and honest Community Roundtable fashion. Settle in, and we'll be right back with today's episode. Well, hey, guys. Uh, Jed, Bruno, it's good to see you again. Uh, you both have been on the show before, I think. Both of you probably have been on a, on a roundtable type show before, actually. <laughs> I like chatting with you guys, apparently. So regardless, uh, it's good to have you. Um, I think I want to start today's episode by talking a bit about last year, 2019, and this upcoming year, 2020. I'm not a big fan of like the whole, you know, listicle type top five things that are going to happen in 2020 or, you know, whatever. But I do think it's interesting to look at, you know, broader trends, things that are going on in the industry. And I'm, I'm kind of curious what you guys think. I mean, so, um, Jed, I'm going to come to you first. So be thinking I'm going to be there in just a second. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, what what do you think uh, was the predominant or most significant trend of 2019? What do you think had like the most emphasis in moving the industry in either a positive or a negative way? Um, I think uh, SD-WAN is still continuing to gain momentum. Okay. Uh, you, you say, you say SD-WAN now you've worked in that space. Are you still working in that space? Yes, I am. Specifically. Okay. So you're, you're seeing it every day. Do you think SD-WAN, uh, I, I think when we talk about SD-WAN and just full disclaimer, I mean, it's what I do full time for my job as well. So I see it a lot. I don't disagree <laughs> with you. Um, but when I think about SD-WAN, I think about the, the Gartner hype cycle, right? So Gartner gets a lot of things wrong, uh, including right. this most recent SD-WAN thing. I, you know, I have some <laughs> opinions about that, but, um, but generally, I think the hype cycle is right on. I think we see a new technology gets introduced and all of the people who are super in and invested, they get very excited because this new thing comes out. The hype goes through the roof because marketing budgets exist. And this is the new shiny thing. And right at the point where the marketing budgets start to dry up a little bit because it's no longer the new and shiny thing, we get out of it and we start entering the trough of disillusionment, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I think is a fantastic term that somebody somewhere <laughs> came up with. I'd like to shake their hand. And then we then we kind of come out of that into like this. Okay, people are actually deploying it. We have a realistic view of of where things are at, and I feel like that's where we're at. I feel like we're finally out of that. We're past the hype cycle where everything was like SD WAN was going to like do everything better than anything else. We're out of the disillusionment where everyone's like SD WAN is awful. Although I think some other pundits would disagree with that statement. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that we're at this point now where we're seeing real practical implementations of size. Uh, I think we've gotten familiar with where the warts are. And we're just we're just getting to the point now. It's like, well, this is something that's usable. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think that's the biggest thing is that now that the uh, the general hype of the you know the the promised features and things like that now that that's starting to die down, it, it, just like anything else, over time technology becomes more mature, and once that happens, it, it filters down from the very largest deployments down to you know smaller and smaller until eventually it's you know ubiquitous. Right. And, and I think there's, oh, I'm going to hold back for my, uh, <laughs> my, my, my trend, because I think it's going to impact this, but, um, I know that what I've seen and I've, I like, exactly like you said, like, I mean, there's always the early adopters, the people who jump in, uh, who aren't afraid to, uh, to take the cuts and the bruises that come from implementing something that's <laughs> not, you know, fully baked. Um, I think we're past that for the most part. I think some of the vendors are falling down on that. They're, introducing new bugs and new issues that are causing right. problems. <laughs> um, and that, and that's a problem in its own right uh, and tightly related to my comments about the most re recent Gartner assessment. But the reality is, is that there's a lot of successful SD-WAN deployments out there. I think we've gotten past this idea that cost is the only thing that matters. Uh, like it seemed like during the hype cycle, like that was it. You're going to save money. You can get rid of MPLS. Like life is going to be beautiful. And now we've come back from, you know, uh, whatever drugs those people were on absolutely <laughs> <laughs> to come back and say, well, wait a minute, maybe we don't get rid of all of MPLS, but we yeah. can be intelligent about how we use MPLS. Uh, maybe it's not a cost saving measure, but maybe we get a lot more features for the same cost, maybe a little more mm -hmm. cost, but ultimately, you know, it's a good investment in the long run and you start to start hearing people talk sanely. Yeah. And, and <laughs> about I about what it is, especially uh, when it comes to uh, maybe uh, smaller deployments, I, I think, SD-WAN can bring an opportunity to add some you know, redundancy in some of the smaller networks where previously or there, there probably wasn't just due to cost. Do you yeah, get I, with SD-WAN um, in areas where redundancy isn't available? 
Um, I, I live in a part of the world where there's basically one main service provider and one or two smaller service providers. And, you know, a lot of my customers are only uh, connected through one service provider and maybe a few links through that service provider for uh, redundancy. But SD-WAN isn't real big where I am just for that very reason, I think. I think. Hmm. That, that's a, a fantastic question. So I just had a conversation with a customer today who is... Um, you know, I was kind of talking about the redundancy and whatever. And they're like, you know, let me stop you there. <laughs> We've got one link at every site. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Um, it, and I think, you know, a lot of the value proposition comes through, you know, intelligent use of the links you have available to you. And so anywhere, anywhere where there's a single link, that value goes out the window. Does that mean that all of the value of SD-WAN goes out the window? No. Because uh, we see again this, you know, the centralized, you know, visibility, the 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 managed approach, being able to see end to end on circuits, mm-hmm. uh, allows us to do things uh, better, like FEC, which can be enacted on a single link. Uh, so now all of a sudden we are able to recover from loss better than we were previously. Now FEC has existed, <laughs> but getting end to end FEC across a, a circuit that I don't necessarily control end to end. Uh, was a little bit of a complicated endeavor. And if I needed a hundred of those, it became a very complicated endeavor. Now it's well, not that I, complicated of an endeavor. So like, I still think that there's value there. I think the value proposition is harder to calculate if you insist on one link per site. But I also think that uh, with a, a lot of the redundancy features, a lot of the things in redundancy that was a, a value, what or uh, the reason why people shied away from redundancy is because they would invest all this money into a second circuit that they didn't use. All right, like we're going to go put this money in we're going to put this thing in and the only time we're ever going to use it is when the primary circuit goes away. Mm-hmm. And now that we can like load balance across the two and make intelligent links, I think the people who start with one link will end up with multiple. <laughs> I think that that's where we'll end yeah, up. Yeah. I think the value will be there, but ultimately the real value is you have to have at least two links. And then you can start seeing the real value of SD-WAN in, in you know, intelligent traffic um, management. But I, I think also another thing that SD-WAN brings to people that they might not have had before, speaking of things like uh, FEC, where it might have been more difficult to understand or, or configure, um, you also get you know a centralization of management and things like that. And, and these are things that a lot of uh, a lot of shops haven't had in the past. Right. I'm hesitant to to wrap that in, although it's 100 percent true. What you said is true. Uh, being, you know, like that I get that one pane of glass, single pane of glass, which is not really a single pane of glass. It's a single pane of glass for this particular section of my network where I have 27 <laughs> others that sit adjacent to it. But you do have that for, for this particular system, this this one place to manage it that's there. But I think the whole world is going that way. So it's not just SD-WAN. I think that's the way networks are going. So we're we're going to have automation and orchestration moving forward. Now, whether or not, or I should say, we're going to have either automation or orchestration. I define those two things differently. I say automation is just the way I interface with my systems, right? And I could I can have some level of orchestration if I'm talking about something like you know Ansible, but Ansible doesn't change the perspective of my network. I still have a I still have a bunch of devices with local perspective. So when I add the controller, that it becomes oh now I have a central perspective. I have something that's monitoring end to end state mm-hmm. of the links. That's what really changes when you talk about a, a software defined network. And so I think the automation piece is coming, whether we like it or not, it's it's going to be something that we do. And so when we talk about central management or, you know, central uh, monitoring and stat collection, all those things, I think that we're on that road. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you're going to be doing that, whether you're using traditional gear with a local perspective or you're doing centrally orchestrated, you know, uh, software defined networks, that's coming. The question is whether or not you take it to that next step and do the orchestration that really makes the difference. All right. Uh, that was a, wow, we went pretty deep on that for <laughs> for the first one get me all get me all riled up talking about sd win i have lots of opinions there <laughs> so bruno how about you what do you think was uh what was a significant trend of this past year uh, well i'm gonna go with something that uh, you just mentioned a couple of minutes ago and that's uh more automation um I, I think that's one of the best things to come to networking um uh you know to help remove some of the the errors of uh you know induced by CLI jockeys, for lack of a better word, um, making the network more uh, programmatic and, uh, you know, just more more repeatable processes and things like that so that, uh, you know, you, you log on to a switch or a router one day and enter configuration, you know, you know you're going to enter that same configuration the next day and, you know, because it's uh, mostly programmable and you're doing... Uh, table lookups and things like that instead of uh, copy and paste, which can be error prone, especially depending on the different uh, 
um, platforms you're going to copy out of and then paste into an SSH session, for instance. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like we're getting there. <laughs> I still feel like we're early, and, and maybe that's wrong. Um, uh, I, I feel like I'm going to be talking a lot about automation this year. <laughs> I feel like this past year, I feel like we were laying the foundation this past year. And so I think that's the reason why it feels, because I feel like automation uh, and discussions before this past year felt a little pie in the sky, maybe a bit on that hype cycle, although they didn't have the marketing budget because who's really paying for to talk about automation generically, right? But the idea that uh, everyone got excited about automation and then I think everyone kind of learned that it was a little bit hard to do. Um, not all the equipment supports the way we want it to. And then you say, okay, well, I need a centralized platform. Then we argue about whether or not Ansible is programming or not. And then we move on, you know, and like, like <laughs> we just have all these things that we kind of have to figure out along the way. And I feel like 2019 was that year where a lot of those things at least got smoothed out a bit. <laughs> so I'm hoping 2020 is the year that we see adoption increase. Um, because I don't, I, in my customer set, maybe it's just my exposure. I didn't see a lot of adoption this year. I heard yeah. a lot of people talking about it, which is good. It's the first step, right? But I, I'm not seeing a lot of adoption. What I am seeing is people saying that they need it without saying that they need it. <laughs> we need to do more with less, right? It's, it's something we've said be, that people say every year, right? It's not, that's not something unique to 2019. But now the answer is oh, you need to do more with less. We need to automate. Like you right. need to find a way to automate some of these, you know, these tasks that are eating up your time. Uh, the other thing with automation, I think, is, uh, is an interesting... Uh, thing I've been chewing on recently is I feel like automation really provides value where there's churn. There's a lot of variation or changes in the network, whether it's changes because of growth or acquisition or changes because the the general overall environment changes a lot. I see a lot of people pushing back on it because of the fact that it's like, well, I can figure my switch over the lifetime. I might log back into it to to change something 10 times over the course of five years. And so automating, you know, like automate, what does that do? You know, like, I don't, I don't know what value that really provides me because the switch sits in a closet and everything is this access VLAN and everything is this voice VLAN. And we don't change the architecture often enough for automation to really make a difference. And I think that, um, I've said this often that we kind of have this dichotomy, this, these, there's the networks that are the companies where the networks drive the business. And those people have churn in their networks because they're constantly innovating and changing. And there's, the companies where the network is just the plumbing, right? And we don't talk about automating the plumbing, <laughs> you know, like we just don't talk about it. And so I think it depends on who you're talking to and who you're seeing on a regular basis about whether or not automation was a big deal this year. I guess this is, that, that point is, uh, is true. There, it, it has, there's places in the network where there's more change than other places in the network. For instance, uh, possibly a data center network might change more than, than a switch out in a remote office. You know, you're not changing port configurations all that 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 often. Um, what I find uh, with automation, though, or why I think it should be a bigger trend too, is that um, it's more than just configuration and re-architecting. Automation can be used for uh, troubleshooting. Um, you know, diagnosing <laughs> your network, monitoring your network and things like that instead of, um, you know, ping this and manually pinging that for troubleshooting or entering trace routes or where do I find this MAC address on the network? What port's that plugged into? You you know, you should be able to kick off a script to do that for you rather than manually logging into 15 or 100 switches to, to help you troubleshoot a problem. I'm glad you said that because I was going to have to provide my own counterpoint if you didn't. Because I mean that's that's the real that's the real value, right? In automation, is it's not just about config change; it's about uh, also you know state and stat collection, mm -hmm. um, and, and and like you said, troubleshooting. Uh, I have a good example of this. I did a, a big WAN change for a Fortune 500 company uh, that we, we were changing the WAN in the middle of the day just because the dynamics of the company themselves it dictated that that's what we did. Um, so we literally were like changing the tires on the car as it's rolling down the road. It was quite the experience. I don't ever recommend doing that. <laughs> uh, it took about five years off of my life from a stress perspective. You probably but... weren't wearing a helmet either. <laughs> no, there were no helmets or protective equipment at all, no roll bars <laughs> or anything like that. But what we did is we had a really, really solid set of testing scripts um, that we did at each stage. And we planned, this is what it's going to look like. But I can't just test it from like five random places. I've got to like have this set view of what's out there. Now we didn't have a, a good tool in the network to do this centrally. We ended up actually using um, some most people consider archaic, but like uh, TQL scripting <laughs> to, to make a lot of this happen on device. 
we had this very distributed view where we were testing what the network paths look like from a bunch of different perspectives, pulling that in and evaluating it before we moved on to the next one because it was important. But like, there's no way we could have collected that information manually, right? Because we were collecting we were collecting like 30 tests on each device. And, you would have to do um, and we're doing it from 20 different places in the in the network, yeah. right? So you all those data points to do that manually, we would have been five hours between each each iteration of the change, whereas yeah. we were able to bring it down to just minutes. And um, I have a question for you. When you evaluated those, the test results, was that automated as well? Like, did you run a diff script to compare It was that not automated, but only because of the timing. I oh. wanted it to be so, so bad, but we just don't have the time to build the scripts to validate those results. Right. Uh, based off our expectations. But what we did is we had a, a pre-planning meeting where we had it, you know, scripted on paper. This mm -hmm. is what we expect. We expect results to these type of sites to look like this, these type of results to look like this, and these type of results to look like this. And we divvied that up amongst people. So we really just distributed the problem because it was a man that was a manual validation issue, unfortunately. Right. But it should have been, and it could have been. We could have been validating those things and looking for outliers. Uh, we just didn't have the time to uh, to prep that. That's a good point. Um. I think my trend for the year is actually the lack of trend. I think 2019 was the first year that I didn't hear software defined data center talked about a whole lot, right? Like SDN came out with force with software defined data center. And that was the driving, the driving thing. Like, and we saw ACI and we saw a bunch of other players out there in software defined data center space come in. People were talking about them in a big way. I feel like we made it through that whole hype cycle again. I feel like there's some people who are doing it. There's a lot of people who aren't, who maybe were hyped up about it to begin with. And I feel like it, it made it back to sanity and I couldn't be happier, <laughs> right? Because I always felt like, I felt like that was just um, such a contrived push. There are places where it makes sense or places where it doesn't make sense. And like people were talking about putting it in places that made absolutely no sense and made my head explode. So I think for the trend for this year was was it was finally the year where software defined data center wasn't the leading trend. It wasn't the thing that everybody was talking about all the mm -hmm. time. And we've seen it waning. But like the amount that I talked about software defined data center this year was a whole lot less than even 2018. And so I think that was uh, it was interesting. It's, it's I guess an anti trend, <laughs> something that uh, that kind of went against. So at the same time, I think what we'll probably start to see more of is I, I think as uh, I think over time you're going to see more and more uh, re-architecture of data centers as far as, you know, the, the physical layout as more people adopt, you know, leaf spine topologies. I, instead I, of, I completely you know, agree. And I didn't notice, I didn't say leaf spine <laughs> 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 because software defined data center, while almost all of the plays in software defined data center are leaf spine plays, leaf spine mm -hmm. doesn't have to be software defined data center. Right. Absolutely. Right. And, and I hear a lot of people that are going down more of an automated approach Mm -hmm. So their but data center with leaf spine, more as a you know the, the physical topology versus the older style. You oh, agreed. Uh, three tier and, hierarchy is going out of the yeah. way. We're going to see leaf spine going forward. That's what everyone's that's, that's talking what about. I mean. Everyone's yep. doing. Yeah, but but I agree with that. But I think that um yeah leaf spine and as we talk about you know um like EVPN and VXLAN and those types of things. I think that we're going to talk about that more and more. I mean, as I see a refresh is happening. It's not a default of, oh, let's go find the the fancy, you know, shiny SDN. It's more of what's the right architecture for what we need to do going forward, mm -hmm. which is good. It's a great trend. So I'm going to turn it around now. And I have to give the ultimate dis disclaimer um, in that I'm going to, I want to ask, what do you think 2020 is going to bring? But the disclaimer is this, is that nobody's crystal ball is perfectly clear, right? <laughs> and the other disclaimer is, uh, statistically, experts are the absolute worst at predicting the future. You're better talking to somebody who has no inside knowledge whatsoever. So with that being said, what do you guys think is going to happen? <laughs> so with that in mind, Bruno, I'm going to gonna call on you first since I picked on Jed first last time. What All do you right. think What do you think the trend of 2020 is going to be? Well, I still don't think that 2020 is going to be the year of IPv6. Um, so Ooh, I'm gonna there's going to be a lot of people angry with you <laughs> right now. I can, I could name some of them if you'd like. I got big shoulders. I can take that on. Yeah, and my All crystal right. ball might be broken there. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with automation again. I think there's going to be more automation, and the reason I say that, um, it's, you know, it, it's also what I'm focusing on. Um, 
So that, therefore, it must be important. It must be important. <laughs> <laughs> SD WAN isn't a big play where I live. Um, my customers aren't using it and stuff. So I'm I'm enhancing my skills in what I think is going to be a bigger play and improve how they um, operate their networks, how they implement their networks, how they configure them, how they troubleshoot them, things like that. And that's uh, becoming. Um, you know, automation and orchestration. Um, the, the second part of that is I, I've played a little bit, you know, labbed up some SD products, whether it's SD-WAN or SD data center and things like that. And I absolutely hate configuring things through the GUI. So I, I want to con- figure out how to access the APIs of SD this and SD that and, and, so that it's pro- programmatic and it feels like CLI. And I, rather than clicking on checkboxes and radio buttons and typing in VLAN names and access list entries one at a time and clicking submit, going to the next screen, I, you know, I, I hear you, man. Automate that. Say, same customer where I was talking about single links today. I spent about, you know, probably two hours building feature templates by hand. The yeah. thing, the thing that I am seeing is that all these products is really funny for all the automation orchestration built in. It almost feels like the automation of the controller themselves was secondary, not mm-hmm. in the way that they built the product because they built them with all the API hooks and all the stuff that needed to be there. But go try finding the SDK or the documentation for the API for a lot of these products. And you'll find out that it's not really feature complete. Like, like it's not that it isn't there. You can, but good luck figuring out how to do it because no one has spent the time because everyone's chasing their tail, trying to get the operational components in place. Do it first and document it later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. And so, you know, like I, and I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers cause I've had this on a couple of platforms that I've looked at. And it's like, um, you know, like it, it feels like the automation piece, <laughs> for a system that's built completely on top of automation was, was the second hand again. And it's just so frustrating, but that being said, I see that changing. Um, some of the work that we're doing at WWT is around some automating some of these systems. And I'm, I'm seeing how that's maturing kind of behind the scenes and it is, it's good. They're good steps forward. Um, I have high hopes for this year uh, for being, even though it's not my, my trend for this year, I have high hopes for this year about that taking some significant steps forward in what we can do for automating those systems, how well they're documented and those types of things. Jed, how about you? 2020 crystal uh, ball, let's predict the future. The the visibility of, of network automation is exactly what I was gonna say because uh, this kind of dovetails into conversation later, but uh, now that Cisco has made it you know, a part of the curriculum, I think almost every single certification has some aspect of it on there now i know cisco is not the end all be all but they are still for the foreseeable future you know the, the major player in networking and what they put on their certifications does make a difference in, in the industry yeah i definitely see I, mean, I, I can't argue um they are the 800 pound gorilla right like it or hate it that's that's more <laughs> in the industry and you know what they do moves and they they've put a, sh- uh, a very solid and um, no question focus on automation and orchestration as, and, and programmability as it relates to their equipment. And we're seeing that as we as we have a cert, you know, refresh cycle coming up and some major things. Like you said, we definitely want to talk about that. And, and so I think what, what you'll end up seeing is that, uh, you know, people in the industry that, that uh, I, I think by the end of the year, crystal ball, uh, a lot of these network automation terms, they'll have at least been exposed to the, the terminology a little bit. Right. And I think that's the key to getting the ball really rolling, right? It, it is, is getting critical mass where everyone just assumes that's the way forward. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the reason why Cisco has all the successes that they, that they do is just because of their momentum. They introduce something new, they get all the information out there to everybody. And then everyone is talking about that particular thing because everyone is used to it. It's something they can talk mm-hmm. about. It's something they're familiar with. And so Cisco and, and Cisco's actually done a decent job. So obviously, you know, and, and this is not with any, you know, finger pointing or ill will. Cisco has a very, you know, solid bias towards influencing purchase of their own product. And I get that. The other side of that is they're doing a very good job of teaching the fundamental basics, like a lot of the stuff that they're doing. And, and I, I haven't seen all the details around the certifications, but I will say that what I've seen out of DevNet just in general, while it definitely focuses on their gear, that's what they've got. But they're also teaching the fundamentals. They're teaching a lot of the components that go there. They're teaching the supporting mm-hmm. tools that they have no vested interest in, in seeing them succeed or fail. That's just what people are using. And that's, you know, that's a, a significant plus for everybody. 
because as they put their weight behind those tools, they'll become more standard. The terminology becomes more ubiquitous. Everyone starts understanding what everyone's talking about. And we can have this conversation and not sound like we're spacemen <laughs> coming from far, far away. Uh, and like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. To be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that about 400 times. Can you help make that real? And again, talking that hype cycle and how things, you know, flesh out, we start getting into real practical, you know, application. And I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So Cisco getting behind it. Uh, whether Cisco is doing it for nefarious reasons or not, and I'm not saying they are, but even if they were, I think helps the entire effort because everyone who's using Cisco gear is, is getting exposed to those things. So I agree with you. I think this year is going to be really interesting when it comes to cloud. So for my 2020, I think cloud is reshaping the way we think about SD-WAN. And I think cloud is reshaping the way we think about our data centers. And I think with some recent innovations in the way that we're talking about connectivity, uh, we are going to see cloud disrupt what a traditional enterprise network looks like in a lot of cases. And I think that's the thing that hasn't changed. We, we have these new technologies that come in and build new ways to do the enterprise network the way we've done it, assuming that there's a data center and a branch and maybe a colo. As more and more services move to the cloud, and, and when I say cloud, I just you know, <laughs> that term is very, very fuzzy on purpose, right? But we do, whether we're talking about software as a service or we're talking infrastructure as a service or we're talking serverless, whatever, you know, like it either sitting in something that you manage or someone else manages. But the idea is the profile for connectivity, I think we're, we're hitting that precipice where we're going from the majority of apps and things you connect to being on site, or at least the impression in an organization, the majority of apps and, and things that you connect to being on site to where companies are realizing that the large majority of their connectivity is actually going outside their organization. And so when I say that that changes things, it's going to change a lot of things. So we're going to, security is going to change dramatically. The idea of cloud security stacks uh, are going to become far more favorable. We've seen that in 2019, um, a significant increase in, in things like Zscaler and Umbrella Cloud Firewall and those types of things. But we'll also see uh, a decrease on the on-prem stuff. It's still going to exist. It's not going away. I'm not predicting its failure or anything like that, but I think we're going to start seeing a, a much larger shift. I think we're going to see much a bigger uptick in that. And I think that the way people consume cloud is is becoming more mature. We're out of this, you know, cloud for everything, regardless of cost. That's now mm-hmm. people have come to their senses about, okay, wait a minute, that we got to make some decisions. We're talking about hybrid cloud. And we're also talking about multi-cloud. Those things become very complex topics to talk about. But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, organizations are making decisions about where to put their data. And those decisions are completely different than anything we've dealt with before. But we have mm-hmm. the tools with some of the orchestrated networks, automated networks to deal with it. And this is that unit, the, the, the union of those things all coming together. And I think 2020 is the year where we're seeing a real solid movement about the enterprise network actually changing. It's going to, it's like how we see the network and how it connects is going to change. So, uh, so that's enough for the crystal balls. You can fact check us in about what, um, 11 more months and see whether we were right or not. And if you do that, I'll be super impressed. Um, (laughs) If I get, if I get a message in December or January, (laughs) you said you were completely wrong. I'm going to like buy that person a beer or something. I'm not sure. (laughs) We're dedicated. Uh, Jed, you brought up an interesting topic. I think it's definitely worth talking about, and that is uh, Cisco's certification program. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are on the edge of that changing, so we're just a few weeks from that. So we see a complete revamp of the program, and we've seen version changes on exams before. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I talk about this, and I I kind of am hesitant to, to jump fully in, and the reason why I'm hesitant to jump fully in is because I understand that Cisco is a vendor and they're only one vendor and there's other certification programs out there. But if you look at the the sheer adoption, uh, the Cisco certification program is, you know, just so much bigger than everything else that's out there. So when they make changes, it's significant. And so I'm kind of curious what your guys' opinion is. I mean, there's a bigger push into automation. We see a rollover for all the major exams. We see uh, the profile of the CCNA change completely. With no more tracks, we see the profile of CCNP change completely. We see the prerequisite for the CCIE go away. We see changes in the CCIE renewal process. I mean, like, it was wholesale change. Now, obviously, it was announced last year, Cisco Live, big changes. You know, this is what's happening. We've all kind of known that it's coming. But now that we're on the edge of it, I'm curious if you guys have opinions. Uh, do you think it's a good direction? Do you think it's a bad direction? Do you think there's, uh, you know, things that we're going to see from a consequence? I'm just curious what your guys' take is. I think it's a, a good change overall, uh, particularly the the CCNA because it's 
if you look at the curriculum now, uh, the blueprint compared to the old one, I mean, they've they, it's it, it's pretty massive now, and it's it's at a point where I think uh, for people that legitimately pass the exam, uh, it, it's gonna. I personally think it's gonna have more value now than it did before. Legitimately pass. Yes. <laughs> well, that's that's always the case, and man, that could be a whole right. conversation, right? But yes, legitimately pass. We're gonna we're gonna assume that all conversation from here on out is not people who are cheating. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um. So I agree. So with the CCNA, I mean, so we see them remove a lot of tracks. You used to be able to do the CCNA and wireless or service provider or whatever else. They, you know, whatever track you were focused on, and now CCNA just seems to be the general core routing switch knowledge exam, which I think is a fantastic step. Because the amount of people who focused on one of those tracks who didn't have core route switch knowledge, and ultimately all of these technology systems end up connecting to a network somewhere and being able to talk with the people who build, manage, configure that network in a way that allows you to do what you do in your, you know, in your uh, nuanced discipline is a good thing. It's good for the networker and it's good for you ultimately. And it's good for the businesses that hire these people. So having a, I am, a, I am a little sad that my CCNA industrial certification is going away though. Uh, does it, well, I, mean, I don't think you can get new ones, but so long as you maintain it, I think it sticks, right? No, it, I think, it, I think uh, fish is still a CCIE. Oh man. Um, uh, SNA, I think SNA, yes, SNA. That's a, yeah, she still has, and that's still valid because she's maintained her certifications. I was, when I first saw it, I saw CCDP was going away. There's no professional level CCNP mm. exam for, for design. I have a CCDP. I was like, oh, but then I realized, oh, mm. just as long as I don't let it lapse, I still got it. You know, like it doesn't mm. go away. Um, but I do find it interesting that there's no pro level exam in, in design at all. Like I mean, it seems like design was kind of left off uh, from some of these changes. And oh, because th th there is one. You just uh, you just don't get a CCDP certification uh, designation anymore. But they do still have it a professional. Is design. there a design? Maybe I missed that in the. Mm -hmm. In the hierarchy, of course, I did you know absolutely zero research on what was actually there for this show, so it's showing. But um, no, I mean it's um, the CCNA I think is interesting because because of the core components, and it sounds like CCNP is also going that way as well. That you know you're going to advance and then you're going to add specializations, and when you add specializations, those get they almost have like badges that you get tacked onto your CCNP. It's not like a different CCNP. It's like you get CCNP yeah. and then you add on. Right. Additional specializations. And I love that because someone who came from the route switch, like I would love to, you know, to spend some time working on maybe wireless or maybe working on something else because I touch those things quite often. But I don't want to have to go to CCNA wireless and then go to CCNP and go through like, you know, seven tests to add some level of validation that I've touched this. But I definitely like I can go to the CCNP level. I'm all right with that. I don't need the CCNA product level exam for wireless to get to the, you know, do you understand how like the fundamentals of RF work? Like, you know, like, like I want to get to that exam, the one that allows me to do that. And so in a lot of this, a lot of prerequisites go away. Like having a CCNA allows you to do any of the CCNP specializations. Like that's cool. Like you don't have to go through a whole other track to make that happen. And actually there's no prerequisites. You, you can jump. Yeah. From you don't even have to have CCNA, right? You can go right yeah. to CCNP level. And, um, what's funny <laughs> is, is the test that didn't have a prerequisite, the CCIE where you could jump in right at that level now does. Because the right. prerequisite is the CCNP. It's like the whole thing just got shifted on its head. So um, I want to ask you about something you said um, in particular, where you said everything touches the network. So people should know core routing and switching. I, I'm not sure that generally applies to um, Cisco deciding to remove the CCIE in collaboration. You know, how many uh, communication manager experts really need to know routing and switching? So I, I see maybe that is... Uh, um, possibly a negative for, uh, okay. you know, removing some of the, some of the expert level exams that they did. You, um, well, I mean, so, okay. So it, removing the expert level exam, that's definitely its own topic. So when I say, when I say that your, your track takes you through, if you, if you want an associate level, that associate level is going to be generic. It's going to be about routing and switching because things are going to touch there. I'm definitely thinking from a career progression perspective. Gotcha. Right. So, okay. the, so the idea is you're new to the industry. You've been in for a few years and you're looking at a certification progression. Like, how do I get there? Mm -hmm. If your goal is to ultimately be a CCIE in collaboration type technologies, I still think CCNA level experience in route switch 
is critically important because Agreed. you are shoveling traffic across a data network is the end of the day and understanding those those core fundamentals about you know how tcp ip works and those type i mean how much time have you spent explaining those things to people who are smart people who just haven't had exposure to those things and those things matter to the performance of their particular knowledge domains and that, that's kind of my point now yeah, whether okay. or not they need to be experts absolutely not we all have our niche like no one needs to be an expert in route switch and an expert in wireless unless you're going after a ton of certifications and you're you know just like doing that <laughs> thing and good for you i don't understand you but good for you uh, <laughs> one was enough for me but you know like as i'm saying it to uh ie and de but that's a little bit different i think because de is a whole different beast of an exam but uh but i don't i do think that everybody whether you're talking about security and maybe this is really where i'm nitpicky <laughs> there's a lot of security professionals who don't seem to understand networking at all like it's just a complete foreign beast to them. And like they understand policy and they understand firewall rules. They understand how to do IDS, IPS, which is amazing to me because all of that is TCP, IP, UDP, whatever, traffic flowing through their devices. <laughs> and yet they don't understand how the traffic gets delivered to them or where it goes afterwards. They just want to do the policy. And I'm like, it doesn't quite work that way because how the protocol works is actually part of that stack. Same thing with voice. Same thing with wireless, mm -hmm. same thing with all of these different domains. I don't expect a, uh, an expert level, but understand the terminology, understand what subnetting is. <laughs> like, like this is the stuff that the CCNA has been traditionally. Now, it's interesting based off of Jed's comment earlier that the domain looked to be more robust. Uh, now, is the CCNA too much? Because I'm definitely, they, I, my, my view of this is, is definitely being um, affected by the fact that I'm looking at it through the eyes of the old CCNA where it was, you know, primarily like very, very fundamental topics, subnetting, uh, very, very basic routing, very, very basic switching, like not really in the weeds at all. If that test has become harder, maybe it's too much. But like we said, it's not a pre prerequisite. So you can just start wherever you want to mm -hmm. go after whatever. Uh, it's, I, I think it's interesting. I think the, the focus on development, uh, automation, orchestration is, is good all around. Cisco, I mean, this isn't, the first step in that direction, they added the evolving tech to the CCI exams and to some of the other exams as well. Like they 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 know that things are changing and changing a bit faster than what they've responded to previously. So uh, I'm not surprised to see that. But a whole course on that automation track is interesting. Uh, I think it speaks to where they think the the network is going and what their focuses are going to be. I'm actually excited. Um, it's, I'm very interested in actually possibly pursuing that myself. And I haven't been interested in a certification for quite some time. Yes. Um, right. And and <laughs> I would like to see it be more vendor independent personally, but I, I don't know if that's a pipe dream. I'm actually trying. I don't know if we're going to do this. I'm making a commitment on the show. I'm not making a commitment. I'm trying to get a show together with the guys from CWNP who put together a wireless certification that's that's, that's vendor independent and, and talk to them about how they did it, whether or not it's applicable <laughs> on the networking side, because like because like I feel like I feel like there could be some value there. But ultimately, we understand why certifications tend to gravitate towards vendors. So I'm just happy to see the biggest one in the world saying, hey, wait a minute, automation matters. We're going to provide some standardized training, some standardized you know, skill validation, uh, blueprint to follow, to learn. And I know um, Nick Russo has been on the show quite a bit, big, you know, uh, and associated with us here at Network Collective has been doing a lot of, you know, developing a lot of material on Pluralsight for that and hoping to have a show with him too about, <laughs> about that going forward and talking about this in a bit more detail. Um, but he definitely seems to be, um, he doesn't seem to be very negative about it, like in just my conversations with him. So I think that, I think ultimately it sounds like they're at least landing on the right topics um, and talking about the right things. So I think overall it's going to be positive. It's going to move everything kind of in the right direction, which is good. And there's going to be a whole, whole new wave of people going out to get certified again. Well, and I, I think that's uh, going to build additional brand loyalty to Cisco. Um, there's no I, doubt I, about I, it. DevNet uh, certifications becoming uh, eventually becoming um, uh, prerequisites uh, for uh, for VARs. Yeah, I, I absolutely so, could say I don't it. Know if prerequisite is the right word, but um, well, no, but you it, know, they have to have a certain number of CCIEs. They may have to have a certain number. Oh, you're saying of, for partner status? Partner status. Oh, I, that's the word. absolutely could see that happening, right? Because yeah, so to be a certain mm -hmm. tier of partner, you have to have a certain number of CCIs and staff, different disciplines, different partner certifications. Yeah, DevNet certs are definitely going to get wrapped into that. Uh, I don't think they're there yet. I haven't seen any announcements or news about that. But um, I, yeah, don't 
<laughs> don't bet against that. That's going to happen for sure. That DevNet's going to become a component of that. It's actually really funny because coming from that side of the world, right? As as the VAR, as someone who who works on customer networks, it's actually been really hard to find practical uses for automation. Uh, if a customer already has it well established, then it's great. We can come in and utilize platform or the tools that they have. But if they don't, using it as a VAR is actually really hard. And the reason why it's hard is because they don't have anything set up. Like so you're, you're reinventing the wheel from scratch and usually you're there for a, you know, a limited scope engagement. Like this isn't necessarily that. Now, if you're there specifically to set it up, then great. But if I want to use automation for part of the deployment or do whatever, like I had a tool bag of scripts that I used when I was doing deployment that were mine that I could repurpose and, and use, but it definitely wasn't automation in the way we talk about it when it talks to like, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, the regular operation of a network. And so, like, I was finding a lot of uh, a lot of challenges there. And so, it'll be interesting as all of a sudden, you know, DevNet becomes a bigger thing and partners are pushed to use it. How how partners will utilize it in those implementations and integrations? It'll be interesting to see how that goes. It's an interesting thought there. Any other thoughts, or is uh, have we beat that one to death? Um, you're talking the certification yeah. in general. <laughs> yeah. So, so one another thing I'm happy about is the the expert level certifications now go uh, three years instead of two years with a year of, of, of um, uh, being in the penalty box, they called it, where it's mm -hmm. a suspended status. I, uh, I like that it's three years. Well, then it matches the everything else. It does. I, because, yes. because my thing was this, I have all my, you know, my NAs and NPs and, and everything else that I'm, I'm, I already have, which research on three year cycle. And I have my IE, which research on a two-year cycle. Now, typically, yeah. <laughs> you know, researching an IE will research all the other ones, but everything gets all out of whack. Like, there's no yeah. consistent dates. There's no consistent whatever. The other thing is the IE changed from being renewed on the date that you passed. Now it's going to be renewed from the date that you renew. Right. So you have three years, and that when you renew it, it's three years from the renew date. Now, that kind of stinks in some way. It because, <laughs> because like my favorite trick with the IE, I didn't do it and I regret it to this day is you can go past the lab and you can go take the written right away. There's nothing stopping you from going taking the written because the moratorium on the written is six months after you pass. I'm assuming it has been more than six months since you passed the written to the time you passed the lab. So you can go take the written again. And since it's within the two year window, it will resert you. So when you first get your CCIE, you can turn right around and use all of that super fresh knowledge to go take the written again and be good for four years, right? It, now, under the new system, if you did that, it would get you like two extra days. <laughs> like it would get you, get you nothing, right? So that game was something that, you know, CCIEs played uh, in figuring out how to do it and, and how to time there. And the other thing is, is oftentimes it's really difficult to get the research. I mean, I most of the people that I know that are IEs, when it comes time to research, they dread it, especially if they're going to go down the taking the test path. And so with that, the, the, the dreading it is looking at, um, well, I have to get it done. And the nice thing about the way that it was before, it doesn't matter when I get it done, it will renew to the end date. Well, now mm -hmm. you're looking at it saying, well, I might fail this thing a couple of times. I don't want to wait to the last week, <laughs> right? So now I'm going to take it six months ahead before my renewal, but then I'm going to lose six months from my last renewal. Like playing that game is going to be a little bit frustrating. Uh, yeah, I can see a few people getting burnt by that. Yeah, I, leave it yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and, and losing some valid time. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, but I do agree that the three years, the whole suspended thing was silly. I went suspended one time, you know, like it's, it, it is what it is, but like, you don't really lose anything. So everyone did it on a three year cycle. Anyway, the only way you lost something is if you work for a VAR that absolutely needed your IE. Yes. Like that was the only reason, only real consequence, because it's not like IEs get any special favorite, whatever from anybody yeah, no, anyway. Not anymore. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. It used to be. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting point as well. The other thing is, is that everything is going to CE. Mm -hmm. So all of your efforts. So if you go and, and spend time studying other things. So like this was a nice advancement in the program a couple of years ago where they added continuing ed as a way to recertify the the continuing ed was, um, you know, you could go take some classes or whatever and re research your IE and your other stuff researched with it as well, which is nice. But if I went and I took a test for a CCNP level exam and passed it, it had no effect to my IE <laughs> and nothing like that. It didn't roll up. It didn't, I got nothing from that effort unless I took an official Cisco class for that CCNP level exam. So now if you take those exams, those exams count for points. So you can continue to broaden your skill set 
So if I go after those DevNet exams, like I'm, I'm interested in possibly doing, each time I pass one of those, it's going to be some CE credit towards my IE, which is fantastic. And then, you know, we'll fill in the blanks and renew. So I think that it, holistically, it's a bit better. I think you see little points where it could be a bit nuanced difference uh, just for the experts that are out there. But it'll be interesting to see. Now, we uh, all of this kind of started with the idea. We, we got chatting about a, conver- a conversation about whether or not certifications really are a good measure, right? And I think it's one of these things we we talk about often. Like we, we run into certified people who can't seem to do the job. <laughs> so we spent a lot of time right. talking about certifications. Um, but, you know, we definitely know that's not the only way to learn. We find a lot of people that learn certifications learn like the how, not the why. Um, and then we see people advancing their careers there. And so I think one of you guys, I don't remember who it was, had a story around this, like in, in something you've been doing recently. So uh, whoever that is, go ahead and, and, and kind of share your thoughts. Yeah, uh, some of the things I've, I've been doing recently uh, in my previous company, I, I was the, the sole network engineer. And now I'm in a position where I'm working with uh, several other engineers. And uh, so th- this in itself is kind of a new experience for me, but it's it's been interesting to see people do things differently i, I guess this, this, this you mean everyone doesn't do it exactly it. the way you would expect them to <laughs> <Right>, exactly <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's just been it seems like some people have a, a difficult time of seeing beyond you know the the intimate technical details and, and taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture and trying to understand why they're doing things the way that they're doing them. Right. I mean, I, I've said this many times, and I am a firm believer of this, that we learn kind of the wrong way in networking. Because I feel like we learn, like I said, we learn the how first. You know, mm-hmm. we learn we learn how to subnet. We learn which knobs and levers to turn and pull and, and, and whatever. Like, we learn how to do the things. And it's not until later in the career that people seem to focus on the the the, the, the details. And when we look at other career paths, like ones that maybe follow more, follow more traditional education paths, you know, the college seems to be the time to go from that like amateur to deep, deeper level knowledge, because you don't have to be effective in actually executing the job. You have four years to learn some of the details about why things are the way they are, how things really work. I know I'm giving a lot of credit to college here that may not be deserved. This is the theory, uh, <laughs> but, but the idea being that, you know, like you have this time four years for your undergrad, maybe longer if you're talking about a graduate type degree to go in and kind of figure out the, the, the nuance and the why without necessarily having to do the how just yet. Uh, and, and we seem to be missing that a lot in networking. It seems like we learn the how, and it's not until people are 10 years in their career. So they start really digging in to figure out the why. <laughs> and it's such an important question. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I mean, it was something that Russ has harped on forever and, and rightfully so is that like, you know, the, the why is what matters. If we figure out the questions that we're answering, um, it, it's better that way because then the how is actually applicable. It actually solves the problem. Um, the how is also one of those things can, that can be looked up. The why isn't necessarily always so easy or obvious. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that the why is much harder to come about. Uh, and so it's, I don't know that there's an answer to this because the certification, the certification process is all about like the how, and there's a good reason for that. And I'm going to argue that mm-hmm. there's good reason for that because ultimately people who go that path become quickly relevant and valuable to their employers. They can do the, yeah. do the task that's in front of them. Are they architects? Absolutely not. Right. Should they be called engineers? Maybe. <laughs> right. It depends. Right. <laughs> like, but the, but the idea is they can be network operators. They know how to do the things that need to be done. If someone comes to them and says, it needs to be like this, can you make it do that? The answer is yes. And they can. And there's value to the companies, which is what drives certification programs to be what they are. The why is more intangible. It's it's harder to understand why that's important. Now, the three of us sitting around this virtual table, we understand that because we've been burned by not understanding the why. And we said, okay, mm-hmm. I, it's not going to happen again. I need, I need to figure out why. And then as we discovered that, we go, oh man, what a rabbit hole. Here we go. And we'll be on that rabbit hole for the rest of our careers. <laughs> continuing to figure out why things are the way they are, but that's what allows us to be able to communicate about them, to share ideas and possibly alternatives and different things like that. And that's what makes us, you know, engineers and architects, people who really dive in and understand. 
And that's a delineation. I just think it's really interesting that we don't, there's no education path for network architecture. It doesn't exist. And there's not really an education path for a network engineer by an engineer definition. And I know I'm speaking to somebody who's from Canada. Please don't shoot me. <laughs> I understand that that's a bit more. I have my own thoughts on, uh, on that. <laughs> yes. Save that for another time. For another time. I, I understand the <laughs> distinction, but hello, words, well, they change meaning as people use them. So network engineer is the thing, right? But I mean, like these classifications, I think are, are at least generally understood. Your operator is someone who can do some of the, the how stuff. Um, it can be useful, but not necessarily the person who you want designing things. Engineer kind of, kind of, kind of architect could have a deep level <laughs> knowledge. And I think the key to to sort of grasping that, in addition to a normal uh, career experience, of course, is for um, for people to uh, step outside of the certifications as well. Oh, one hundred percent true. And especially, uh, you know, going into uh, you know, the, the history of networking, that's, that's how you learn the, the problems that were solved in the past, why they were solved and, and how it relates to networking today. RFC 1925 rule 11. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's so true. And, and I've said it again, I've said this multiple times now, so I'm going to say it again. I've said this multiple times. Um, but like, if you haven't read our RFC 1925, you need to go read it. Um, it's called the 12 networking truths. They're all relevant. There's really more than 12 cause there are sub truths. Um, but the reality is rule 11 is, is one that is hundred percent true. And that is that basically every old idea will be, you know, trotted back out. It will be rewrapped in some other fancy wrapper. It doesn't matter whether it worked the first time or not. We'll see it again. And when you understand the why, when you understand what that thing solves, you can quickly get up to speed on what the new iteration is. You can say, okay. I know that it's solving problem X and to solve problem X, we've done, you know, solution A, B, and C, <laughs> right? Here are the options in the market. These are the ways that networking could possibly solve that problem. Uh, just like all things, we love pendulums. <laughs> so, uh, you know, right now we're on this pendulum where we're going from A to C, and this is a solution that looks like C. Here's what's different about it. And you can have a broad understanding of what that technology is pretty quickly if you can do that. But to know that you have to know A, the problem, right? The fundamental problem. Uh, of what's being solved. And then you have to understand what's been tried before. And the only way you do that is kind of just by digging in. <laughs> like there's no certification program. There's no anything like mm -hmm. that. Uh, so a shout out. I mean, we ran history of networking here with Russ for, uh, for a year and a half, two years, something like that. Russ is now doing it independently. So you can go to rule11.tech. That name isn't accidental. Um, he's continuing history <laughs> of network. Uh, history of networking on his site so that still continues on i mean it's a podcast and so you know somewhat self-promotional and that's not what i'm trying to do here because it's not with us anymore but the idea is um it's a great way to learn about some of that history or at least get pointed in the right direction uh it's, it's valuable stuff uh and and listen to this don't just listen to the stuff where you recognize what it is <laughs> like the whole point is expanding the horizon right that whole history of networking series was a big input to my um, design uh, certification um, study. Yeah, you plan. gave us a shout out for that. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you saw that. It was um, uh, to me. It doesn't matter what the technologies are. Uh, that you know, RFC 1925, Rule 11 is is the same. There's there's a, a I shouldn't maybe small is the wrong word, but there's a small set of problems that everything is in networking is trying to solve, but there's a vast array of technologies solving those small problems. So if you understand a few of them or learn why some of those were developed back in the seventies and eighties and nineties and all throughout, you know, the history of networking, it, it definitely helped me with, uh, with studying, um, you know, the, the more modern technologies and how how those how the modern technologies are solving some of those same problems that have been around for 40 years right and that's why even though it's more than two decades old i still recommend people pick up and read uh radio perlman's interconnections book without a doubt um and at the risk of sounding like a ross white fanboy because i brought him up multiple times in the past five minutes but his book on computer networking problems and solutions he wrote with uh, ethan banks is another good one for understanding Absolutely. the fundamental problems of networking and kind of working through it. And uh, another one that's maybe less technical that I absolutely uh, got a lot of perspective from uh, where wizards stay up late, which is like the history of how the internet developed from the very mm. early days and kind of gives a, again, it's not a technical focus as a people focus, but you do get the, the feel for why things were the way that they were and how they came about and, 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 you know, combining that with some of the history topics 
Uh, some of the people mentioned in that have been on history of networking episodes, right? Like it's not accidental that these are the people that we're talking to, but the idea is that, you know, understanding how we got here um, goes a long way in giving you context for what you do day to day. And the problem is, is there's no immediate reward, right? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of whatever. But if you're interested in being very good at what you do, I think it's critical. It's critical mm -hmm. to understand why it is that we do what we do. And the only reason you can, only way you can really understand is to understand a, the fundamental problem, which means you got to go out and figure out what those fundamental problems are and then understand how we've tried to solve it before. <laughs> so when the new shiny thing shows up, you have perspective about what it is that it's trying to do and how it goes about it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, I, and again, and I, I try to understand and sympathize with people who are the, the people who make a career out of doing the, the, the how. Um, I think there's a place for people who, who learn and do that. You're not going to advance to the upper echelons of network engineering or architecture by doing that. But like, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, this is a job. And I think a lot of us who are passionate and engaged and interested in this lose sight of that sometimes that for a lot of people, networking isn't exciting. Networking is what sends home a paycheck and it's lucrative and it's, uh, you know, we're all very lucky to work in this industry bluntly. Um, and there's nothing wrong with people who are who are interested in like living in that space because you're going to need people who understand the do that the how but that can't be it and i can understand and you know coming from jed's point how it's frustrating it's like i had autonomy and i am an architect and i understand how this stuff works and now i have to work <laughs> with people who is like i've got to explain this um or i've just got to give them direction period and hope that they get it done correctly and that could be frustrating for sure um try working at a var for some time <laughs> where every 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 say, week you run into different different caliber of customers yeah yeah i was gonna say if nothing else this, this has been an awesome learning experience for me. yeah i was just gonna say i, I think that makes you better oh God. anytime you teach anything it makes you better at it and and i i think there's a i think a, there's a place for the people that uh are just about the why you do or how you do things and, and not um or sorry not the how you do things but uh you know just implement and things like that. Um, being from Canada, I'm going to use a hockey analogy. Um, I, I think an effective network team, if you're at a, at a sizable company where you've got a, a team of networkers of, you know, maybe 10 on the team or whatever, I, I think there's definitely a place for, you know, your first line stars, your second line that wants to move up to the first line when the first line moves on to bigger and better things. And then you've got your third and fourth line grinders mm -hmm. who it is just a paycheck and a job for them. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you, you know, you can hand them tasks and they can implement and operate and they're happy to do that. But, and you know, when, let's when the architect and stars exactly. when, time, when the yeah. 5 PM, they're going home and they're not, you know, they're not digging deeper into books or reading uh, blogs or learning how you know the interest intricacies intricacies of how this stuff works but they're still valuable for a team so i think there's definitely a, a place for those people on an effective network team you don't want everybody fighting to be the number one guy or number one girl or you know the it's balanced, second right? best it's balanced right. yes. and you you don't want yeah you don't want all ostlers because everyone will sit around wanting to be you know head in the clouds and you know nothing actually ever gets done and everything's all theoretical Right. But then you get the other end of the spectrum and it's like, well, if no one's leading the ship, if no one's thinking about the theoretical, we can get a lot done. But man, what are we doing? You know, Agreed. <laughs> yeah. why I compare it to a hockey team. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, need, uh, you need the full spectrum of those people to make an I, I team. don't know that I would have landed at the at the hockey analogy myself, <laughs> but that was a good one. I, I do appreciate it. I can understand <laughs> it. All right, guys. Well, apparently our uh, my return to to podcasting. It's been a lot of fun because I think we're approaching an hour now. So we probably should wrap it up here. Uh, that was a really great conversation. So, uh, Jed, where can people find you? I mean, I'm sure you said some very insightful things today. There's going to be people out there who's like, I need to follow that guy. Where can I find him? <laughs> well, I uh, do all my writings on my blog at neckercube.com. Which are uh, awesome, by the Twitter way. As... Like, go to his blog. Yeah, when he yeah. writes, he writes useful things. Yep. In my RSS feed. Yep. <laughs> and uh twitter at uh wax underscore tracks named after the the record label very very nice bruno how about you so i uh blog i don't have many up there but i've uh 
starting to blog more. I'm at brunowallman.com. And if, uh, if you know German history, my uh, last name has a good German smelling. And on Twitter, you can find me at the opposite. It's last name, first name. It's uh, Wallman Bruno on Twitter. Excellent. Uh, personally, if you want to connect with me, I'm at BC Jordo on Twitter. I have a, a blog that I'm slowly in the process of uh, decommissioning and moving everything over to Network Collective. Uh, so I'll mention it, but don't really go there. It's JordanMartin.net. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Network Collective, uh, if you like this episode, you can find many more like it, uh, whether it's conversations like this or deep dive technical topics or you know any number of things as it relates to networking or career in networking. Uh, lots of great episodes there. Uh, if you'd like to engage and chat with us, we're on Twitter at NetCollectivePC. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Network Collective. And I think that's it. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 